I was dreaming about Minecraft sheep, and then I realized I dream of electric sheep, and then I realized that I am an android. Oh my god. I'm already an android. Oh my I god. dream of electric sheep. <laughs> moments where we feel remarkably unqualified, but for some strange reason we choose to be unafraid. I'm Jessica Rowe, a film student, creative, and the host of this podcast. I don't know what I'm doing, and neither do my guests, as together we dive into conversations about boldly following our passions and kicking goals, with a focus on creativity and being a young adult in Adelaide, unqualified and unafraid embraces just going for it. Cloud, tell us about a situation where you were unqualified, but you decided to be unafraid. So many times, <laughs> relentlessly. I mean, when do you become a qualified artist? What what is the what are the criteria that you have to check off to be deemed qualified? I mean, I go to uni, but pretty much everything to do with my craft, I have to teach myself. You know, um, and so does that mean that I'm unqualified, or does that mean that I am qualified? I have no idea. Um, but in terms of like times when I felt super unqualified, um. Probably when I gave up sewing and I decided, fuck it, I want to be an amateur poet or a philosopher or a filmmaker or something. And I'd never done any of those things, ever. But I really just decided that, like, after fitting myself into the box of being the fashion kid for so many years, it didn't matter how little knowledge I had, I needed to change what I was doing, like, desperately. And um, so I did, and I just dove into it. And um, since then, my practice has made me so much happier. I love the way you talk about, like, the effect that your identity as an artist kind of has on you. Um, And I'll ask you more about that later. Yeah, I guess, like, a little intro. About two months ago, my partner told me that they met a really artsy person that they thought I'd really hit it off with, and... Then as soon as I stalked you on Instagram, I was like, "Mm, I'm going to get this person on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny. (laughs) I could try like listing all of your mediums, including like fashion designer, sticker creator, visual artist, filmmaker, but I'm trying to like ask my guests more to introduce themselves as creatives because I don't want to like, you know, put you in that box. So how would you describe what you do? I think that... The label, if I had to give my practice a label, I would call myself a um, conceptual artist, probably. I feel like it's the most um, fitting the for what I do, I guess. Everything with my art stems from ideas. And the concept or the philosophy or whatever I've been reading... Um, what games I've been playing, what movies I've been watching, what, you know, how I've been living my life bleeds into my art relentlessly. But I would call myself, I would call myself um, an amateur poet and a conceptual artist, I think. So it's like every idea that you have or every topic that you're thinking about could kind of come out, like it kind of requires like different mediums depending on what it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that the message that I'm trying to convey is the medium, you know, um, what I'm, whatever I'm trying to get across, that's what's important. And uh, like, as a, 
as a conceptual artist and what I've kind of learned in my school, like being a critical practitioner is just um, the medium is the mess. Um, sorry, the the you have to you have to look at um, the message and then form your medium around it. With so many mediums, do you feel that you have like a consistent style or aesthetic or maybe even like key themes that kind of are shown throughout all of your work? I, I think that there's a few things that you could kind of trace. Um, I Kind of the, the realisation that I've come to the most recently is that I just am my art, you know? Like, I'm, I am myself and I live my life and I, you know, live in my shitty little flat on Hindley Street and that this is where everything stems from, you know? And... Like, as I just kind of move through doing whatever I'm doing and being interested in whatever I'm interested in, then it just comes out. And, like, I think that you can see patterns and styles and themes throughout my work because I'm just constantly, constantly, everything I make kind of has the same, um, it kind of has the same message behind it, which is just that it's a self-portrait, you know? Like, this, like... This poetry could be like a portrait of my life right now. You know, this film is a portrait of my life right now. When you see, if you look at my Instagram feed and everything looks gray, you know, and then you come into my flat and you realize that my entire flat is gray. And that's where that comes from, right? So as I move and I kind of travel and change my hair color and get different tattoos, then I'm sure that my art will look different because it's just going to be a reflection of me in that moment. In terms of like, themes that kind of run through it it's just this like relentless questioning <laughs> um and um uh like why why are things like this i don't like it you know and i feel like my, actually my, my art isn't profound it's just complaining because it offers zero answers <laughs> i love that though that serves its own purpose though to like bring up the questions in the first place you know how so many people have said to me, they're just like, Cloud, I love your art, but every time I look at it, like, I get an existential, I have an existential breakdown. <laughs> I, I think it's good. I'm like, I love to see other people have an emotional reaction to my work. Um, like, I, I really enjoy seeing, seeing that because I feel like all I am always is emotional. And if like, me being that emotional and that vulnerable can make other people feel as though it's okay to be that emotional and that vulnerable, then that would make me really happy. You kind of mentioned before that recently you had a bit of an identity reinvention with your identity as a creative. So could you talk us through your thinking behind that and did you find it hard to break out of a box? Oh, yes, absolutely. This is probably... not probably this has been the biggest shift challenge obstacle in my creative career history or whatever you know um so uh for context from when I was 12 to when I was 18 I was um a seamstress I was a tailor I made things to order I made things for shows um I was like best friends with my sewing teacher at school um and it was my whole life and I was like I'm gonna go to fashion school and I'm gonna be a fashion designer and then I'm gonna have a fashion house when I'm older and then I learned about capitalism (laughs) (laughs) 
And then I decided I didn't want any of that. Like, I was really good at sewing, you know? I, I just, I've always been, like, I'm just really lucky that I can pick up skills like that easily. Um, there's lots of things that I can't do easily, like any sort of sport. <laughs> But um, sewing I learned really quickly, so I, I got really good at it really fast. And everyone was kind of telling me, screaming at me from the sidelines, being like, you need to keep doing this, you need to keep doing this. And so I thought that it was me, and I thought that I'd found myself, and I thought that I'd figured myself out. And I did everything for a grade. I did everything for an A. I did everything to get into uni. I did everything for my ATAR. I did everything to make my teacher proud of me, my parents proud of me, and um, I always struggled with this idea of trying to find a voice. And once I was looking at going to like real art school that wasn't in high school, I realized that like you had to have original thoughts and you can't just copy people. I mean, I already I already knew that, but that's what SAFE teaches you to copy other people. So um, I had always struggled to find my voice as a fashion designer and. That's kind of when, like, then I, I eventually um, came to the realization, which I, I had to be pushed into, actually. I didn't come to it by myself, um, that I, this wasn't for me, that this wasn't right for me. And I had always been, like, a very academic person in school as well, um, and I'd always been writing from when I was very young. But I never showed anyone my writing. Like, my writing was my personal little secret that stayed under my bed. <laughs> and um, then when I kind of started doing media stuff and I actually showed people my writing, they're like, this is really good. <laughs> I was like, this feels like honest. This is, you know, because this is the shit that I do in my bedroom when I don't think anyone's ever going to see it. And I realized all of a sudden I had this like realization about my own authenticity and how I had convinced myself I was being authentic when I wasn't. And from that moment forward, I kind of vowed to be as vulnerable with my art as I possibly could be. So did you kind of have this realisation during your degree as a, at a fashion school? Well, <laughs> um, so I'm still in fashion school technically, but I, um, what I study has nothing to do with the industry. So... Um, I went um, to fashion school last year and I did my like foundation year in, um, in fashion because I was still a little unsure and um, like I said I hadn't found my voice as a designer so um, I wanted to do like a pre-year before my BA and in this we tried out three different pathways of fashion which was media, um, design and business. Obviously, I hated business. Design was like, I thought I was going to love it. And I did the media one first and I loved it. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited for the design one because, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. And I got there and it was just awful. <laughs> and I mean, like, obviously the course wasn't awful. Like, the course is fantastic. But for me, it was such a bad fit. And um, we basically got to apply for what we wanted to go down, but they, uh, our tutors got to choose. You know, we could say, this is my preference, but our tutors got to choose what we went into. In my first class I walked into, um, one of my tutors looked at me and just looked at what I was wearing and said, you're a media student. <laughs> what? And I said, no, I want to be a fashion designer. And then I became a media student. <laughs> oh my god, all from what you were wearing. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. 
I know, but like, um, so I'm, I'm still at LCF, which is great. And I, I adore my course, but, um, in my course, like sometimes we'll have to make something and then we'll be like, um, excuse me, sir, does this have to relate to the fashion industry? <laughs> and they'll say, well, it's about identity and you know, identity is about fashion sort of. Right. So what is what is fashion media? Like how do they I don't understand like to explain that side of things. So fashion design um is obviously like all of the clothes, tailoring, making um and then fashion media is styling, writing, um fashion journalism, fashion photography, fashion filmmaking, fashion um PR, marketing. It's all of that stuff. So, um, but what I managed to fall into, you see, I love my course so much, but I had no idea it existed. Um, what I managed to fall into was critical practice for fashion media and communications. And basically it gives you a bunch of reading to do. You do a bunch of research and then you can make whatever sort of outcome you want. (laughs) And it's basically open-ended, but they just give you really good resources. So it's very, very self-directed in the sense that like you completely choose what path you want to do. People who come out of this course very rarely actually go into the fashion industry because like, it, it, I mean, you may as well just remove the word fashion from it. It's critical practice for media and communications. Kind of going on to a totally different topic, although still related, um, when did you first get into sticker making? I got into sticker making through my course because we were given a task where it said like you have to make something and then you have to choose a way to um, communicate it. And I was like, okay. Um, and I like just started some new antidepressants and that had really been playing on my mind. Like I said, my art always imitates what's going on in my life. And um, I was really feeling shit about being back on meds after like two years of being off meds. So um, like my prescriptions and my pills were just like lying all over my flat. Um, And I was looking a lot into social media and um, media in general and how it can cause us to disassociate. And I was looking into like, um, mental health connected to, um, you know, over use of technology, but at the same time, no one actually has a choice, you know, so we're kind of doomed with this. It's like, oh, we can say that Instagram is bad as much as we want, but who's actually going to delete it? Yeah, for real. <laughs> and how, how are you supposed to run a business without social media marketing these days? Exactly. I mean, like it, our generation purely has no choice except to use media. And so, but the, like, this is the thing, right? Is that other generations who are older than us, think that we aren't aware we're being manipulated by technology, but it's like, no, we're fully aware, but we don't have another option. (laughs) Like, we're just trying to do what we freaking can to get as far as we can. Anyway, sorry, I got totally off topic there. So I was looking at that sort of idea and I was looking at my meds and um, I decided to edit my prescription into being like a prescription for socials. And then I was thinking how on earth am I going to publish this? Cause I was really proud of it. And I was like, how on earth am I going to publish this? If not, like, I don't want to post it to my Instagram because I'm just going to look like an absolute, you know, hypocrite, unless that would be my point, but I didn't really want that to be my point. So I thought, 
how else could I get this out into the world? And then I thought about Adelaide stickers. And like, as you know, they're huge here. Um, and I just thought, perfect, let's do it. And I don't know, I just, I just caught the bug. Like I made one once for one project and I caught the bug and I did not stop. And I love making stickers. I love how it's a public art form. I love that I can just choose to put my art into the world. You know, there's this idea that you have to get into galleries and follow things. It's like, no, I can just print this on adhesive and stick it on a fucking, you know, TV pole or whatever. Yeah, so true. I was about to ask you what you liked about the medium. I mean, it's it's so affordable. It's so accessible. It's it encourages trade with like like trading people, um, trading with other people. Sorry, so you get to know more creatives. And I mean, fundamentally, what I like about it the most is that if you see my stickers, then you're seeing them in person. You know. Totally. Like you said before, like Adelaide stickers are huge. So. Do you think, like, did you, was there not really much of a sticker community in London? Um, just, just to, like, for context, the school that Cloud went to was London Fashion School. So you lived there for how long? About 10 months. So I, um, I, yeah, I was living in, like, halls of residence, um, which was kind of far away. Like, unfortunately, I didn't get to live on campus. Like, that's not how the uni works. Um, but I'm, I wish I could answer your question, but I cannot because for the entire time I was away, I was in lockdown. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea if there's a huge sticker scene because I barely went outside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh no, it's okay. I mean, I'm. I would be shocked if there wasn't, though. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. would be absolutely shocked if there was not a sticker scene. But I mean, I think what makes the Adelaide sticker scene so special is that it's so small that you just see the same names <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah. Like I can't think of a city where stickers would function better than they do here. True. London would almost be too big for it. You know. You wouldn't see the same names. You wouldn't see them in every single corner of the city. And also, like, you know, I know these, like, I know some of these people. Like, I've, I've just bumped into them before. And um, how great is it that there's, like, so many little connections like that? So one of your stickers um, that you gave me that's on my laptop right now, it just simply says, hold me. And I've also seen others... I've seen others of yours that just say, like, be afraid or happiness is consumable. Like, what messages were you hoping to send with these really short statements? Well, I mean, the first thing is, like, when you're walking down the street, you're not going to look at something and actually read it, right? Yeah, Like, if it's in big, bold text or, like, big, bold, repeating text then you'll see it and then maybe you'll remember it or maybe you won't, you know? But I just figured that, like... In terms of like trying to um, get a message across, uh, that that would be um, that shorter sentences would be more effective um, with the medium, which is kind of ironic, seeing as I I tend to write really long run-on paragraphs, and I also talk like that in like <laughs> very long spiels, right? But I thought, you know, let's keep it short and sweet with the stickers. Mm. Um, the hold me ones, um, I, I just was, 
desperately lonely one day and I was just like sitting and I was just thinking like I wish someone would just come and give me a hug Aww. <laughs> yeah and then I just made the stickers and then I thought it was hilarious when I put one on my phone and I was like ha 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 it says <laughs> hold me and I do hold it every day <laughs> and then, or like I just thought the idea of like a, a post on the side of the road that says hold me and you go over and give it a hug I kept on visualizing someone actually doing that, and I thought that was so funny. Um, but, yeah, the the hold me ones is just, like, I feel like that's an accurate representation of how I feel most of the time, you know? Mm. Just, like, hold me. Mm. Just hold well, me. I thought that that one was really powerful, like, especially in public, because mm. I feel like it's just, like, a really public statement of, like, yearning and, like, romantic Mm -hmm. kind of statement. Like, I just feel like when you see that in the city, it feels kind of, like, I don't know, cinematic (laughs) or something. It feels a little surreal in a sense. Well, actually, that's, like, where some of the other ones came from. I'm not sure if you'd seen the the road ones that say, like, fear and cereal. Um, Oh, yeah. I... I, I made those because I just thought, like, if someone's walking through the city and they see a sticker of the road that they're about to walk on, except the text has been changed to read serial, then that would be an extremely surreal experience for them. And I would like <laughs> to deliver that to them. <laughs> and, like, this is the thing, is, that, like, some of them, some of the ideas come from, like, nothing. And then some of them are, like, very, very thought through. I mean, like, the happiness is consumable one. That one, I, I think, is probably the most well-written short sentence out of all of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and that one I thought about for a while, whereas the other one was like, oh, cereal. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And then the, like, be afraid, be very afraid, or, like, everything saying, like, fear, or, like, yeah, be, be fearful of something. Um, it's just, like... That stemmed largely from this... Well, firstly, the fact that everyone is terrified all the time, but no one wants to admit to it. And, like, if you're you're looking at something and it just says fear, and it's just, like, same. Relatable. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but also, like, um, the one with the cutlery drawer, um, that was kind of, like, coming from this idea of uh, something so boring and so average, and so, like, hang on, what's the right word? Monotonous, there we go. Um, (laughs) And it's something that, like, it it just shows the sort of monotony of the everyday, you know, you open your cutlery drawer every day. Yeah. And I was just, like, thinking about patterns and falling into that, and how I never, ever, ever want to lead a normal, boring, stable life. And Mm. that's where that came from, you know? This is normal. Be afraid of it. Yeah. One of my favourite things, like, in art, which mm-hmm. is actually... Actually, I'd say this is kind of a little bit contradictory of what you just said. I love mm-hmm. making really mundane things cinematic. Or oh, kind of... yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I I also can really appreciate that. Mm. I love the mundane. I I love I love the concept of the mundane because yeah. I like how much I hate it. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I dislike living like in in my life, I do, I hate it. But in my mm. art, 
I love it because it's something yeah. to really just go to. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah I get that. The definitely. fact that I have such a strong feeling to it in my real life means that it's a great catalyst for many ideas in my creative life. And so yeah. I kind of appreciate how awful it is. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think making the mundane cinematic is awesome. So by looking at some of your visual art pieces, you seem to have like a bit of a fascination with trash, like mm-hmm. actual physical rubbish. Not I'm not saying you have bad taste. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> but what does this stem from, this fascination with like physical rubbish? Again, it's this me bleeding into my art is one part of it um because I'm just really messy a mess will just pile up and up and up and up and I will never notice it until someone comes in and says this is horrific you need to clean this right now <laughs> um or like sometimes like my friends will my friends will come over and they'll start cleaning my flat for me and then I realize that's when I need to actually do it <laughs> um oh my gosh so I but like I was thinking about how it was like looking in the bin is just traces of me and traces of people who've been here. And, like, all of these tiny little intricate details that we just completely look over, you know? I mean, the fact that, like, if you if you actually observe every little bit of rubbish on my table, right, then you could learn so much about me. Yeah. And I feel like our I feel like our rubbish bins contain like so much of our shame. Oh, absolutely. And I I mean, like I said, I always want to be vulnerable, you know? And I feel like th- this is the traces of myself. And I was just thinking like, okay, so what if I just offer that up on a plate? And yeah. see if people receive it well. And I think that some people really liked it. Most people were confused. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are just like, what? Um, <laughs> but yeah, fundamentally, it just kind of comes down to this idea of like observing how I move, well, how people move through the world. You know, I would love to do mm. a bin collage of all of my friends' rubbish bins and see how different they oh, are. Oh, that would be so cool. You should do that. It would be, but I mean, like, it's extremely intimate and very invasive, and I would have to, I mean, that's a big ask of people, you know? <laughs> Um, but maybe I'm looking at mine day. right now. It has a bunch of my hair because I gave myself a haircut. Mine has and, my hair uh, in it too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so something that I really like about your online presence mm-hmm. is that you share heaps of your behind the scenes of your work, like mood boards and mm-hmm. mind maps and stuff. What drives you to share these? The idea that every single thought you have has to go somewhere to a final product is just a recipe for overworking yourself. Mm. And um, I think that some of my ideas are valuable enough to share them without them being made into final products. I mean, I I also just, I never want to be seen as, I never want to be seen as anything else but human. And I, like, I don't know. I don't want to be seen as, like, a great artist or anything. I, I just, you know write down thoughts on on pieces of paper that I find around my room and you know if I can take pictures of those and and put them 
on Instagram and then they can resonate with someone and that'll make me really happy. You know, other people who are trying to do the whole art thing, I think that they get so used to seeing um, finished products. I mean, I certainly did. And it's extremely overwhelming. And Definitely. I don't know. I, I guess, like I said, I just want to be honest and I want to be vulnerable. And I can't be honest and I can't be vulnerable if I don't share my process. And one thing about my process is that, like, so many things don't work out, you know? <laughs> like, I'll have so many ideas and I'll write down so much shit and I'll write, like, three or four different plots before I settle on one for a movie. And, like, I'm still proud of that work. I never don't want to acknowledge that I did it, but also I should be okay with it not moving further, you know? So a really interesting part of your story is the fact that you lived in London um, and studied at the London School of Fashion, which is really cool. So how exactly did you make that happen? Like, think about um, a little kid who dreams of becoming a fashion designer and they're like, but how do I get from Adelaide to London? I mean, I, I am honestly just in an extremely, extremely fortunate position where I have two parents who are both incredibly supportive of my creative career. And if I didn't have that, none of this would have happened. And that, I, I hate to say it like that and I hate to put it like that, but I mean, this is what's so fucking like awful about arts at the moment is that like if you want to have an education which is beyond traditional training in art you have to like have guarantors parents or just so much fucking mm. money you know yeah <laughs> um yeah that's true like, i i mean i did work for it of course like i put a lot of work into my folio um I, at the end of the day i had to get into the uni and i i did and that was me but the only reason I even got a chance was just because I am extremely fortunate. I, I've also been thinking about like the like thinking about privilege and privilege as a creative. Things that I've noticed is I've been fortunate enough to be raised in an environment where I always like my parents always said like you can do whatever you want to do, like you can be whatever mm, you want to exactly. be. Like exactly. and so I just have this massive amount of confidence. Like I have like mm-hmm so much confidence that I'm going to, like, have a creative career. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that That's all comes down too. to my parents. I mean, like, this is this is the thing, right? When I was in art school, like, um, not really with any other international students just because it wouldn't be feasible, but with a lot of home students who were on student loans and stuff, they had been disowned from their families for going to art school. Really? Like, yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, I, I, I kind of forget sometimes because like my parents are so supportive and like a lot of my friends have relatively supportive parents or quite supportive parents within creative industries but like some people will just like oh you don't want to be a doctor okay we're cutting you off financially yeah and it's just like the pressure it puts on people but like these are the most perseverant people I've ever met because they managed to like push themselves through, pay their way through fucking art school, you know, on their own, on their own terms, yeah. because it's what they chose to do. And I have endless amounts of respect and admiration Definitely. for people who can do that. And I don't want to minimize, though, like, I don't want to minimize, like, the work that it does take to get into art school. But, I mean, fundamentally, 
yeah, I, I would just never have had this opportunity if it wasn't for my privilege. But let us not take away from your amazing talent and practice that you obviously have put in into making art. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, it is, I mean, I think that they are, they are separate things, you know. I just, mm. I just, I'm so lucky and I just wish that more people had this opportunity. Yeah. You know, because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. like, I think Definitely. everyone has creative potential, but it just needs to be, like, pushed a little. Yeah. Definitely. Do you feel that your experience living in London, even though you were in ten months of lockdown, um, yes. <laughs> do you think it's do you think it still led to self discovery? And were there any like key realizations that you had? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it was an incredible experience, incredibly formative. Um, I mean, the biggest moment of discovery I had, the first big moment was when I first read Society of the Spectacle. Um, and it was the first theory that I'd ever read, and I just fell in love with it. And then I completely changed, like, so much. I completely changed the way I was thinking about things. I've always been, like, an existential thinker, but, like, once I actually encountered philosophy, I was like, wow, these are ideas that I've been thinking about for so long, but this just articulated in such an incredible way. Also, like, I was living at home for the first time, which was incredibly um, formative in in that sense as well. Um, also, like, being surrounded with so many international people. Like, my flatmates were American and Russian, and my best friend was Polish. Um, you know, and, like, our group of friends was just so diverse, and it was... Honestly, it was like being locked in a room with 300 people that you can relate to. Because I, I always kind of felt in Adelaide like I was a little bit too eccentric for it. I've always felt like I'm just too much, you know, just a little too much. And so when I was in the UK, I realized everyone is too much, or at least in Austin. <laughs> and I, I had to be even more to keep up with them. And it was great. And I just like, it was like one of the first opportunities where I could completely just design who I wanted to be and if that was create a new version of myself then that could be that or if it was tear down all of the walls that I had up in Adelaide to be a more vulnerable authentic version of myself then it could be that as well you never know when self-discovery and all of that stuff is going to hit you to be honest I think I've done way more growth being back in Adelaide than I did in the 10 months I was in the UK really Um, yeah yeah honestly in like the five months that I've been back here I mean, it was a hell of a lot of growth in the UK, but it's been even more growth now, you know? Wow. Yeah. Since you've been back in Adelaide for the last couple of months, have you discovered any newfound appreciations for your home city? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, um, I really, I really love, um, Adelaide knowing I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) It's just because, like, the the main reason I could never see this city as beautiful was because I felt trapped here. And now that I no longer feel trapped here, I can really appreciate it for how incredible it is, you know? I mean, like, the fact that um, 
the art scene is so sort of like involved with itself and everyone knows everyone in Adelaide and it's really hard to go somewhere without running into someone you know or like you end up at this place and you're gonna run into a bunch of people I mean I used to hate that but now I kind of really like it you know definitely relate to that whole thing like you love it knowing you're gonna leave when I go back to my hometown Mm. like on KI it's like it's so beautiful but if I lived there I would be like I would take it so for granted. Oh, absolutely. Because I'd be focused on all the bad shit. Well, I mean, and that's how I did, like, that's absolutely how I did see Adelaide before I left, you know? And now that I'm back, I I, I don't know, like, the air is so breathable, it's so green. The city is organized in such a convenient way to walk around. I mean, yeah, it's small, but that means that I can walk to my friend's house who lives on the other side of town, you know? Actually, I think the other thing about, like, coming back to Adelaide is living on my own and living in the city has really changed my perspective on it because I'm experiencing it from a completely different angle, you know? And I'm experiencing it from someone who's also, like, of age. Well, that's so good to hear. Yeah. And do you have any projects coming up? Yeah, so at the moment, um, like I, I mentioned before, very briefly, I'm making um, a speculative uh, film, which is an exciting project, but I, I finally wrote the script for it, and I need to get all of it filmed before I go back to the UK just after Christmas. Um, my latest project has been focusing on like creating a... Um, we have to create a film that's set in 2030, um, addressing uh, like a planetary challenge and discussing identity. And so the planetary um, challenge that I chose was abundant automation. And I've been doing so much like research into the metaverse. And to be honest, I've just been playing a lot of Minecraft. And um, <laughs> so... So I've seen some of your creations on there. You have? Oh, of course you have. <laughs> I keep on thinking about how it's just really, really, really boring version of Blade Runner. Um, and so I was thinking of calling it Knife Jogger. Blade Runner's already boring. <laughs> True. <laughs> but this is an even more boring version. <laughs> what does mundane look like in the future? That's kind of what I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. You know? So when you are a little more qualified and completely unafraid, what will the life of Cloud look like? I would get up in the morning. Um, I would be living in my flat in the UK with my best friend Kinga in the UK. Um, and um, I'll wake up. It'll probably be about midday. And the kettle will be on because Kinga will have turned the kettle on. And then she will have gone to have a shower. So I'll go into the kitchen, put like our coffee into the cups. And then like I'll go sit down on the couch and roll us a couple of darts. And then she'll come in and then she'll fill up the coffee cups with the hot water and then come and sit next to me and then we'll smoke and have coffee and say nothing. Aww. Waking up in the morning being excited for the day. That's my dream life. I don't know. I don't want to fill my life with more expectations I can't meet. I'm done with that. Done with that bullshit. All I want is just joy. Where can people find you online? So I am Cloud Makes Cool Stuff. Um, all dots in the middle on Instagram. I did start a TikTok account, but I am not sure how committed I am to it yet. <laughs> yeah, I can't be bothered with TikTok. Like, 
no I, I but like the problem is is that I know that like Instagram is gonna gradually probably fade out and TikTok will take over oh definitely we're gonna be the old people on Instagram oh absolutely we're like oh my <laughs> god using Instagram that's so Gen Z of you <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I can't but what can that. you do I've given exactly. I've, I used to always I always thought like I'm gonna grow a following I'm gonna grow a following on social media and now that TikTok has come along it's like that dream has died I'm like I'm gonna move up in this world in the old-fashioned way of gaining experience and doing work and I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be an influencer anymore <laughs> oh I, oh god someone called me an influence an influencer once and I thought oh I yeah a micro influencer <laughs> Oh, no, no, micro-celebrity, Adelaide Microsoft. <laughs> if you don't put that I'm That's a micro-celebrity so in the title of this, I'm going to be very, very annoyed. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not leaving Adelaide until I become a micro-celebrity. I think that's fair. I think that that should be everyone in Adelaide's goal because it's, I think it's achievable for everyone in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly? Because... If I can't make it here, where can I make it? That's my question. Well, no, this is the thing, though, is that, like, this, the idea of an Adelaide micro-celebrity is so funny to me because as soon as you mention anyone's name in Adelaide, everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah, totally. There's no such thing. Like, we're all micro-celebrities. It's so... I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> hey, just take it as a compliment, right? <laughs> some, of us, some of us are out here hustling trying to be Adelaide micro-celebrities. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Hobane. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. Oh, this is this has been so fun. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your mates. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give it a rating and a review. For updates, follow at you and you underscore podcast on Instagram. And thanks for listening.